This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony and I visit the home ballpark of the Cleveland Indians. For those of you who are new to the podcast, Anthony and I have been traveling the land for the last couple of episodes visiting Major League Stadiums. If you would like to follow along with us, I recommend you go back and start with our Road to Cooperstown episode and ride with us to Toronto and Detroit before stopping off here in Cleveland. We begin the show sitting in our seats at Progressive Field and talking a little Indians baseball. We have made it to Cleveland. We are sitting in Progressive Field, and I've got to say, just from my own uh, reference point, it's been two years since I've been in this ballpark, and what they have done in the concourse here is really something that, it's something special. I'm gonna talk about it a little bit more when we get in the car, just so that, I, I've, I've told it now to, the, to our seatmates a couple of times about how impressed I am with this concourse, so I'm not gonna bore them with the same stories. But Anthony, this is your first trip to Progressive Field. Tell me what you've been thinking so far. Well, the concourse is the, it's the superstar. Um, it's really, really, it's very inviting and really open air and a uh, la- large selection of vittles. He's got his, he's got some vegetarian stuff to, to uh, super, you know, when we were in Detroit, sadly, uh, the, the Midwestern culture kind of came through with a lot of beef and not a lot of veggie uh, uh, options, but oh my goodness, that is an elephant ear, I believe, with ice cream and whipped cream and hot sauce and okay, yeah, there's... Or not hot, hot chocolate sauce, I should say. Sauce. Or hot sauce. We, put on the, we take the, you know, the uh, sriracha. We put it right on there with the chocolate and the bananas. The I, was mes- I was mesmerized by it. I was just looking at that chocolatey goodness. But uh, for the second game in a row, though, so our game yesterday was an offensive slugfest. And today, uh, there are 17 runs on the board in the seventh inning. This has just been a back-and-forth offensive uh, AL masterpiece. You know what? I believe this is our first wave of the tour, which kind of uh, kind of makes me a little bit sad. But uh, it's sort of a pathetic wave, though. It's it is. It was kind of a half-hearted wave, but it is Memorial Day here in Cleveland. I don't know if it's gonna make it around. So, Anthony, what have you been thinking about the uh, the game today? Uh, <laughs> well, it's the, the the balls have been really hard hit. Like it's been. Solid contact all day long, which you got to think is on the pitcher as well as the hitters. Um, and then we just saw one of the weirder plays I've ever seen, where there was a, a man on second and third, but he the the batter hit a little a little nubber to the pitcher. He had all the time in the world, like the guy wasn't even gunning it from the plate. He was he had given up the runner had had given up. And the pitcher completely soft toss, like that's a soft toss lob <laughs> airmail five feet over the first baseman's head. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I, I mean, I actually have seen stuff like that only because it is two outs. The reliever had already coughed up the lead, and you could tell he was frustrated. And with two outs, his mind is anywhere but that toss to first. He's thinking about going back into the dugout, and he's thinking about just 
anything else in the world, and he does. When you have too much time to think, that's when you throw the ball away. So currently, the Clubhouse podcast, we are just a curse to the home teams because we are on an over streak right now where the home team has not won a ball game with us in the stands. You know, sure, okay, I don't believe in superstitions like that. Oh, you don't believe in superstitions? Folks, I wish you could watch Mr. Anthony Rapp watch the Cubs. You may not believe in superstitions. It's not superstitious. I just get really into it. You do get very, all right, all right, fair enough. But you are, we'll argue about this later when we're in the car. So while we're here, it is a gorgeous day in Cleveland. I am insanely happy with this ballpark. As, as I was saying when we were driving in here, I was excited to come back here. And I've been just uh, over the moon with, with the additions they've made. Honestly, I think I may need to do all 30 parks again because it seems like every single ballpark is doing even a little bit of something to update themselves every single year. Well, they're gonna, apparently they're going to update their, their video board, which they sorely need to. It's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's definitely the worst video board of all the parks we've been to so far this year. Yeah, the video board is, a, is a, one of the negatives here. But uh, our buddy Nate here, actually, who is sitting next to us, who we... We ran into here at the ballpark has informed us that there will be a new scoreboard coming very, very soon. It's also the, the way the, the the layout of it is poor. Like it's the way they put the information up, they, they need to sort of redo all that stuff, I think. But with that, we're going to get back to the game. We're going to hope that the home team can get a couple more runs on the board. We'll talk to you guys next time when we are in the car driving to Cincinnati. We'll be going to Cincinnati tonight for a Reds game tomorrow. See you next time here on the clubhouse. Back in the car after the game, Anthony and I go on tangents about nerdy stat keeping and superstitions in baseball before diving into our thoughts on progressive field. This leads us to a discussion on the team name and mascot for the Indians, and we discuss whether or not it's time to retire Chief Wahoo. Hello, everybody. We are currently driving on the road from Cleveland to Cincinnati to wrap up the final leg of our first long road trip of the season. We ended up seeing yet another offensive slugfest between two AL teams, and once again, the home team could not come out with a victory. The Clubhouse podcast is currently 0-4. What are we at? D.C., Baltimore, Toronto, Detroit, Cleveland, 0-5. We are on quite a home losing streak here, which hopefully we'll be able to break tomorrow in Cincy. But I don't care about these things the way the Manish does, by the way. I don't care. <laughs> I always think it's nice to room for the home team. I always feel that if you're going to be visiting someone's home ballpark, you should be courteous and not put your feet up and, you know, not mess up the, the, the house. You want to make sure that everyone's having a good time. Well, but uh, that's different. But, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'd like to see good baseball, regardless. Of course. Oh, look, good baseball is always what's on the table. But at this point, we've been able to, we've been, we've left five stadiums. And all five stadiums, the fans have left relatively, I don't want to say unhappy, but unsatisfied. They were, they were not pleased with their home team's performance. It would be nice to be able to see a home team victory and see the teams high-fiving and celebrating as we walk out the door. Yes, I agree. But I... The thing about, like, there's any correlation to our being there. Oh, no, of course not. That's just, no, that's just me, you know, having fun. You know, when I 
did my, my, my stadium tour, I kept track of my stats, which at this point, uh, they're on my website, but I can't remember off the top of my head of how the home team did. And that's just, once again, look, we're a baseball podcast, and what is baseball if not keeping unnecessary stats? Yeah, but you just said your stats. They're not your stats. They're their stats. No, but it's, it's as far as... Well, like I said, no. This is this is it's it's if if uh, if you check out my my website for the tour, I kept stats about how many hours I drove, about how many bottles of water That's I different. drank. Those so are things saying, you did. Sure, and so the games that I have bought tickets for are games that I am maybe not necessarily a part of. But don't you feel like you're when you're a part of the crowd, you're a part of something special? You know, I was a part of, I believe, Henderson Alvarez's no hitter in Game One Sixty Two in two thousand thirteen. Now I had nothing to do with the actual game itself. But as a part of that crowd, I feel like we were all a part of that singular experience. It was a very special experience that I feel that I share with everybody who was in attendance at that ballpark. Yeah, I understand that. But to me, that's you witnessed that. You were part of the people who witnessed that. And you're part of the energy in the room. So I'd like to witness a victory for one of our home teams. Okay, that's a little different. (laughs) I feel like these are just semantics. Well, yeah, but semantics are everything, too. All right, I I do agree with that. But so... Let's let uh, you know. Let's talk a little bit about Cleveland. I said that I'd, I'd mention it in the car, and I do want to just mention that the last time that I was at Progressive Field, the concourse was something that I was really a big fan of, just because of the sight lines of everywhere that you are standing in the concourse. If you're standing in line for ice cream or even to pick up something from one of the team stores, there are a lot of places where you can actually continue to watch the action on the field. But now. I was very blown away at the fact that this year they have taken out actually 7,000 seats. I was told by one of the vendors there, they've taken out 7,000 seats and completely gutted the concourse when you walk in and replaced it with new restaurant, basically new stands, new vendors, all housed by local restaurants that have some great food, including some vegetarian options that we did not find in Detroit and that you don't find in some other ballparks. And in addition to that, they have, uh, they've moved their bullpens, and so they've installed new bullpen seats where there are seats that you can sit directly in front of the bullpens and watch the home and visiting teams warm up and kind of hang out with the bullpen guys a little bit. And for the old bullpen spot, you can actually go down there during the game. You can sign up for free for one inning and watch the game from the old bullpen, which is... At least as far as I'm concerned, you know, unless other parks have added it in the last two years, that is the only ballpark in America that will allow you to do that. And that is incredibly unique and incredibly cool. So good on your progressive field. I was blown away at the upgrades that you have done. I mean, the Indians, it was a really crazy game. It was like three to nothing in the first. The, the Rangers had two home runs in the first. And then the Indians actually got one back in the in the bottom of the first. But then they went ahead. I believe there were 14 runs scored between the two teams by the third inning. It was a, a, a wacky, wacky game. So, you know, and it was so and then but then there, there was the I think we mentioned earlier, the crazy, weird tossed error. Like you don't usually see a tossed error sail over someone's head. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Usually you would see like somebody, you know, really try to throw it hard and miss. But he just it was I don't even know how he did it because, you know, part of the thing about being a baseball fan is you go. Happiness to sadness <laughs> and back again throughout 162 game season and in the postseason if you're lucky enough to get there. So that's just part of the, the, the weathering, the ups and downs. It's one of the reasons I love the game so much, too, is that I've always said, you know, it gives you something to care about. Even when in years past, you know, there was 
it's been a while since the Cubs were really good, but they were really good a few years ago. They went to the postseason back-to-back years, got swept out of the postseason both years, didn't win a game, and it was, you know, really disappointing. At the same time, I'm always like, well, at least I had something that I really cared about that, you know, made me feel stuff. It is. It's, it is, you know, it's old cliches about the agonies of defeat and, and the joy of victory, but there are very few things in life, if anything, really, that, you know, make me feel the lows that baseball can make me feel. But on the other side, the highs that you feel, you know, I've mentioned it before and I'll mention it again, but 2006 was one of the happiest moments of my life. It was one of the most, I can, I I still get chills when I think about it. It was the happiness that I felt for For my, for the, uh, for game four of the ALCS when Magdalene Ordonez hit the walk-off home run to send the Tigers to the World Series just three short years after losing an AL record 119 games in one season and after basically a decade and a half of pure futility of my childhood essentially I was just so happy for those players for that team for the coaches for the ushers for the staff for the city for my friends for my family for everything it's just that that communal happiness and that individual happiness is something that hasn't been matched since. I mean, even 2012, when, when we won the pennant, I, I was pretty high as, as that as well. I was at my apartment for that when I wasn't actually at that game as I was lucky enough to be for 2006. But I, so let's see here, in 2012, I was how old? I was, what, 28 maybe? I'm not sure, I can't do math, it's late at night. So I was, you know, in my late 20s, and I was watching the clinching game with a baseball glove on my hand and a baseball bat in my other hand. Now you just sound insane. I absolutely am insane. I, I, I and I will never deny that. <laughs> Alone in your house, watching TV with yep. a baseball glove on and a baseball bat in your hand. First of all, no one bats with a glove on. So what I was doing in 2012 was a little ritual of mine is that when the Tigers were up at that uh, um, the, the plate, <laughs> oh my goodness, I, I'm, the reason I'm admitting this is because it's very late at night and I'm kind of punchy and I'm, I'm already embarrassed that I'm going to admit this. But when the Tigers would come up to bat, I would pick up my bat and I would basically get in my batting stance and take cuts with them uh, and, and try to will them to hit the ball out of the park. And when we, were at the, when we were on the mound, I had my glove in my hand and a ball in my hand and I was phantom pitching in my apartment alone. And when the final out was recorded, you better believe my hands were thrown up in the air and I jumped on my sofa like a five-year-old child and screamed and clapped my hands. I, I'm sorry, that's what baseball does to I me. I understand, I still want to just go back to the, you had a bat in one hand and your glove in the other Because well, it was at the end and I was just so you intensely. Just said, how can you be doing both things? Because at that point I was just staring at my television screaming. I just, I was so, I was just on cloud nine. You know you what, Anthony? No use to your team in that state is You know what, that is true, but here's what I'm gonna say, Anthony. Win a pennant and then get back to me. I'm not going to be wearing a baseball glove and carrying a bat. I'm sorry. More power to you. (laughs) Certainly not at the same time. That's just not something that's done. We'll see. see. We'll see. But real quick, I do just want to to say that it was Zach McAllister who was the relief pitcher. I'm going to name drop him here just because it was one of the 
just wackiest plays that that either Anthony and I or have seen just because of how routine it was and how it would have gotten him out of the inning. Yeah, the game was tied at that point. He coughed up the, the lead as far as tying the game, but, you know, there was still a lot of baseball left to be played. The guy was running to first. He wasn't even halfway there. Everyone was jogging. Everyone, everyone, everyone in the building was like, all right, well, that's the final out. Here we go. And, yeah, it was, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I'll, I'll click a, a, a go to clubhousepodcast.com on the show notes, and I'll make sure to click to the highlight of that because you just you all need to see. Yeah, I mean, it was – I feel bad for Zach McAllister at this too. point at night. I, I don't know where he's at at 11.16 p.m. I, I, I'm, I'm sure he's at home and, and – I don't know what's going through his mind, but I feel bad for the guy. No, I do too, believe me. But it was one of the weirder things I've ever seen on a, on a baseball field. And I've seen some weird things. <laughs> so with that, do we have any final thoughts on Progressive Field and just your time in Cleveland? Um, the field itself was very nice. And the, the, like so many of these parks now, which I, I really appreciate that when, they're, when they truly are in the downtown area, and you can see, you feel like you're in the city when you're at the ball game and they're not in some weird parking lot. The way that, you know, I like Citizens Bank Park in Philly, but it is sort of off to the side and what you're looking at, you're not looking at anything, you know, from when you're in the park. Absolutely. Um, and I always like it when, when these, when, you know, like AT&T Park in San Francisco and PNC and in Pittsburgh and uh here in, here in Cleveland and in Detroit that you feel like you're, you're seeing and you're feeling a part of the city. Um, so I appreciated that about it. I thought it was like a little too weirdly tall, just from an architectural standpoint. It just felt like kind of like tall and some of the big, the lights were on these huge painted white, really super tall, um, whatever you call them. I don't even know what those things are called that you put, put baseball lights on. You know, the, just the, the light banks. structural the structural thing of it, they were like really tall and like high and yeah. The facade of the of the stadium is very high, and and there are a lot of empty seats in the in the upper decks there, just because the the, the stadium seats quite a few. And and Cleveland has you know they they've been contending off and on for the last couple of years, but really haven't made that big a push yet. And so, yeah, the upper decks could use a bit of a remodel. Um, and then the con- the concourse is really really nice, and the and they're. Their little monument park, their little Hall of Fame. Yeah, Heritage area. Heritage Park is Heritage called. Park it's called is really, really, really well done, and I always like seeing all that history stuff. Um, they really do do a fantastic job of honoring their former ball players, and I did see that they're finally going to be getting a Larry Doby statue, which is way overdue for those of you who are not in the know and it's sad because there might be some of you out there who don't know who Larry Doby was he was the first African-American player to be uh, to play in the American League came up very shortly after Jackie Robinson played very very well is in the Hall of Fame but he does not get as much of the ink as Jackie did which not to take anything away from Jackie obviously but Larry was a heck of a ball player himself so finally he's going to get a statue of himself out front along with Jim Tomei and just a whole slew of of Indians greats then there was another really interesting tidbit in that in that sort of area of all the plaques and all the memorabilia for the former players was there was a a star player in the early 1900s who was struck in the head by a pitch and killed. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the only time that's ever happened in a major league game. Um, and they had a, a plaque commemorating his, you know, 
that having happened, but commemorating him as a you know member of their team. And that was a plaque. There was a little story that went along with the plaque where it, it, it had been installed in the, you know one of their first early stadiums, and then I think 1921, I want to say. And then it was lost at one point. They didn't know where it was, but they found it, and it's in this stadium. Uh, when they were moving and re, you know destroying things and reconstructing you know things, that the fact that that it still exists. Uh, in its original state, and it was very well maintained, even though it was law. Who knows? I'm like, how do you lose a plaque? I know. I mean, it was like not even a plaque. It was like kind of a, I think the thing was like easily four foot wide and two feet tall. I mean, anyway, but it was just nice that someone found it and it's still there. Yeah, I think actually I got a, I snapped a photo of it. So once again, I'll, I'll point you in the direction of clubhousepodcast.com to our photos page, and you can see a photo of, of that plaque and just really the rest of, of Progressive Field and all the other parks that we've been visiting. Unfortunately, my, my camera uh, uh, SD card got uh, uh, just a bit mangled, and so I lost all of our Cooperstown pictures, but uh, the rest of our ballpark photos are still up there. But there's a, there's a, I feel like there's other stuff that we should talk about just that we were talking about on the way into the, into the park today, which is the controversial nature of the name of this team, the Indians, and the fact that they still have as one of their major logos and icon, iconic images of the team is the, the big cartoonish smiley face of the, of Chief Wahoo, the, the Native American dot guy with a, like he's got a feather in his hat or feather in his hair and. Um, you know, it's a, it seems like to me it's in the 21st century, it's kind of a complicated thing. It would be like, I don't know, there's so many, there's so many ethnic groups that we would never think about calling a team after them and making a cartoonish image of a member of that ethnic group as like the iconic logo of a team. seems strange to me that that sort of has never been addressed and of course there's a conversation it seems that people have about tradition and this is the name this has been the name of the team since the early 1900s and 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 there's always the excuse of this is not you know necessarily uh, a caricature but this is something that we are honoring and we're remembering and we're keeping etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know I'll say this uh, a couple of things you know in the interest of full disclosure for those of you who may not recognize the name as being of such I am of uh, Indian descent my folks are from India which uh, is, 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 you know, so I, I'm an American, but, but my folks are from India. And growing up, I, I would hear, I would be asked very regularly, what kind of Indian are you, a dot or a feather? Which to a, you know, kindergarten or first grader is kind of a weird question to be answering quite regularly. And as I got older and I kind of understood the difference between my quote unquote type of Indian and the Native Americans, who we wrongly call Indians, you know, I, I started got, kind of getting annoyed, not, and, and this is what I told Anthony earlier, not as an Indian, but as just a thinking human person. Because, I mean, let's face it, Columbus called the Native Americans Indians because he thought he found India. And instead of doing any type of research as to who these folks were who were already living on this, con on this uh, continent, he just decided, ah, oh, whatever. I thought it was India. It's India. You're Indians. How you doing, Indians? And so just as a thinking person, I just feel like it's, it's something that we really should address. Calling them the Cleveland Indians is something that I feel maybe we should be discussing. I know the Redskins get in the news as far as, as getting that name out of there. And that is absolutely something that should be off the table because that's just, I mean, that's just straight up derogatory. 
For me, the fact that Chief Wahoo, I mean, they were on the uniforms today. Chief Wahoo was on their their arm. So it's not like they can say, oh, well, that's a logo from 50 years ago. No, they're still using it today. And it's still a part of a lot of their, their marketing packages on their scoreboards, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it is just a discussion that, that we need to be having that, that in 2015 or just in modern society, we shouldn't be calling teams by just the wrong name. And ultimately, that is the thing. There are no such thing as Indians in this country as far as the Native Americans are concerned. I am an Indian. I am not a Native American. There's, although it's interesting, um, there's a really wonderful book I, I read called by Sherman Alexie called the, I, I'm going to paraphrase the title because it's a fun title, but it's something like the totally true adventures of a, of a real life Indian. And it's, you know, it's a, uh, it's, a, it's kind of, it's a diary. It's written in the style of a diary of a young kid growing up on a reservation out West. So he uses the term Indian, but sure. I don't know, you know, so there's, you know, there's some... Well, it's a complicated, no, it's absolutely, and I will say this, because I am, once again, I, and I always maintain, I am speaking for myself and myself only. These are my, completely my opinions and my experiences and how I feel about it. And I have spoken to Native Americans before, and yes, several of them have said that they have embraced the term Indian and using the term Indian for them, they don't feel is derogatory or negative any way. And I, I'm, I absolutely am fine with that, and I agree with that. But once again, I'm just more saying that uh, for the ones that I've spoken to, it seems like they have almost become accustomed to using that word. And it's kind of like, you know what, it's, it's, this is the way we have culturally appropriated it, and, and we don't see anything negative in it. And that's awesome. Rock on. Keep doing it. Now, have you ever asked any of them about these issues, about the name of this baseball team? So I'm glad you mentioned that. I actually have not brought up uh, this specific topic about the Indians or the Seminoles or the Redskins or just the the uh, names that we use in popular professional sports to the Native Americans that I've spoken to. But I did just meet a gentleman, an author by the name of Gregory Rubano, a couple of weeks ago. Actually, coincidentally, at the Burgino Baseball Clubhouse, he did an amazing author event about his book, Freedom Between the Lines. And Freedom Between the Lines is, I'm just going to read a a quick little synopsis of what it's about. Freedom Between the Lines recreates the story of Native American youth sent to federally run boarding school, the Carlisle Indian Industrial School. What awaits the children is a carefully plotted re-education program intended to quote-unquote civilize them by quote-unquote driving the Indian out of them. In baseball, however, the boys find a way to reclaim their proud warrior tradition, a way to compete fairly against an unjust society. The book focuses upon one of the boys, Charles Albert Bender. He was so good at, quote-unquote, an American game, that Bender became the only Native American to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. This is a book that I highly, highly, highly recommend you all check out. And it does touch on the somewhat horrifying uh somewhat horrifying well absolute horrifying experiences of native americans in this country and just how they were treated by our government and you know gregory and i had a conversation about the word indian or injun or however you want to pronounce it and he also similar to you anthony said that he had talked to other native americans that seemed to have if not reclaimed the word at least been okay with the word but once again in my experiences it's it's less about even race to me it's more just about ignorance and it's, it's more about they weren't indians 
they they're they had tri they had names their tribes had names they were not a collective they were in you know they each one of their tribes was 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 unique and special and different collectively calling them indians to me i believe does a disservice to the history of their culture sure yeah but i like the interesting thing is if if a people is calling themselves whatever they are calling themselves, then I think you also do have to honor that. Is all I'm saying. And, I'm, and I and I do, like I said, which is why I would never get into an argument with someone who would like to refer to themselves as that. I'm 100% okay with that. Yeah. But we've kind of gotten off the the, the, the topic right now. The po I think we can all most likely agree. And the next time I do speak to Gregory and 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 anyone else who is interested in this subject, I will be asking them about their thoughts on. Whether or not it's time to maybe retire, good old Chief Wahoo. I mean, Chief, I don't know the entire history of when Chief Wahoo became a logo or, you know, so that might be something interesting to research and, and, and check around and check around about, you know, check check on. But, uh, yeah, the so that that was that was an, a, an interesting thing to, to, again, sort of think about and ponder and be aware of being in the ballpark. I also will say that um, there were a lot of people decked out in all sorts of jerseys and T-shirts, but it certainly didn't feel like it was as, as prevalent as the game yesterday in, in Detroit. Um, so I mean, that's one of the things I'm sort of going to be I'm going to be paying special attention to as we go on. Is feels like Detroit really was like a setting a super high bar for the amount of gear being worn at the stadium. Uh, you know, the per capita gear. I also thought it was interesting, you know, I, I saw a lot of jerseys and there were a lot of, um, Kipnis is the name of one of the sort of homegrown Indians players. He's their second baseman. Jason Kipnis, yes. Jason Kipnis. And I saw a, a fair number of jerseys with his name on it. Um, we saw... Uh, there was Corey Kluber. Kluber. who was their Cy Young award winner. Their, their pitching, you know, you know, their big pitcher. There was Nick Swisher. Um, but I didn't see one Michael Brantley jersey. And, I, you know, I've been aware of Michael Brantley pretty heavily because I picked him up on a flyer last year from a fantasy league, but it turned out that he was, he's turned out, he's turned into like truly one of the elite players in baseball, like across the board could be an MVP candidate for years to come if he keeps playing at this level, cause he's that good. And I didn't see one Jersey. And then when I asked my seat, one of our neighbors about like, she, I said, who's your favorite player? And she said, Kipnis. I said, cool. And I said, do you have any, do you, do you have any feeling about Michael Brantley? And she's like, she, it almost like he, he almost didn't register for her. And I just didn't know what that was about. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it's about. I'm curious. And since we don't, you know, if and when we can get an Indians fan, you know, a true, like, true blood, hardcore Indians fan on the, on the podcast, I'll be, I'll be curious to see if this carries over. Well, I mean, look, in the meantime, once again, you know, please you know, tweet at us at ClubhousePod or send us an email at ClubhousePodcast at gmail.com if you're a Cleveland fan out there. And, and you know, state your case. Why is, is Brantley, at, at least as far as, as today's game was concerned, not someone who gets a lot of love from, from the local crowd? You know, why, why is his jersey not selling as well? Or maybe is it just that they weren't showing up today? I don't know. Like I said, maybe it was just the Kipnis and Swisher and, and, and uh, uh, Kluber fans that decided to show up to this Memorial Day game. But uh, he's right. I mean, after Anthony mentioned that to me in about the fifth or sixth inning, I also I, I kept my eagle eye out, and I similarly did not see one Brantley um, jersey. And, and the man is a legitimate or at least was a legitimate MVP candidate last year and continues to put up great numbers. So 
Indians fans, defend yourselves. And I, I'll be. That's another thing that I'm going to start paying even more attention to is is the names on the backs of jerseys. You know, and a lot of times they're also like older players. Which, which I always love, by the way. I love when I see old-timers jerseys being represented. Or to be honest with you, even guys that weren't necessarily beloved. So I think, you know, in Detroit we saw a Bonderman jersey, which, you know, stuff like that always makes me smile. You know, if it's a guy that maybe had some success on your team but maybe really didn't uh, uh, pan out, I kind of like supporting the guys that, that don't get the headlines. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be – I'll be sort of curious, like a little uh, anecdotal research project so that's gonna wrap up I think our uh, uh, trip to Cleveland um, you know I do want to echo Anthony's statements about the uh, placement of the stadium in the downtown area and just the absolutely fantastic there are so many great bars and restaurants and taverns and and you know Cleveland like Detroit is a city that is that needs a little bit of help you know that that's that's hopefully gonna rebound or is in the rebuilding process. And, you know, I know that I'm supposed to have the, the friendly rivalry with them because of being AL Central division foes. But, look, the bottom line is if it's an American city, I want to see it rebounding. I don't care where it is. And the sports, if, they, if, they, if their sports franchise can help in any way, shape, or form, you know, I'll donate my money wherever I can. And so, I mean, we ate at this great, uh, we met up before the game with a friend of mine, uh, Katie, that I hadn't seen in years. And, and Katie, Anthony, and I had, had uh, lunch at this, at this little restaurant called uh, Adega, A-D-E-G-A. I had a great shrimp flatbreads, you know, uh, it was just, it was, it was nice, you know, and it's, it's a two minute walk away from the ballpark. So if you haven't made a chance to, to get out to a progressive field, uh, I think Anthony and I would both highly recommend you catching a game uh, anytime this summer or in the future. And you might see some wacky goings on. <laughs> when you are on a long road trip, there is nothing better than listening to live baseball on the radio. Anthony and I listened to several teams' home broadcasts while we sailed down the highways, but we didn't have time to hear them all. We would love to hear your thoughts on your own home team's broadcasters. So please tweet at us at clubhousepod or email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com to let us know how your broadcast team stacks up against the rest of the league. In this next segment, Anthony and I decided to take a look at some of the best baseball radio guys in history and even try out an impression or two. All right, so now we're going to move on. And um, in honor of the fact that Anthony and I have been listening to a lot of baseball as we drive down the uh, these country roads here, the, 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 the highways of America, we've been listening to a lot of radio broadcasts. We've been lost, listening to a lot of uh, radio broadcasters. So I thought it might be a little bit fun to look at the top 10 radio broadcasters of all time and maybe get Anthony and I's thoughts on, on uh, if we've been able to hear any of their famous calls or, you know, what we think of how they did. As ranked by whom? Now, this is ranked by aboutsports.com. So baseball.about.com. I have absolutely no... Oh, his name is Scott Kendrick, is the author of this uh, uh, top 10 list. And his title is MLB Expert. So that's, that's, that's a pretty uh, bold claim by aboutbaseball.com. So let's see. We're going to start at number 10. He was a broadcaster from 1954 to 1990, and his name is Joe Garagiola. Now, I unfortunately have not really had the pleasure of listening to a Joe Garagiola uh, game called, and Anthony, I'm 
guessing that you haven't, but I will check with you. Have you? I, I don't think I have, but the name does sound familiar, so I'm trying to figure out how I know the name. Well, I'll tell you this, and it's something that, that uh, makes me wish that, we, that, that this still happened. But according to this little bio on About Sports, well, first of all, he was a catcher, and his folksy anecdotes made him a fan favorite on the NBC Game of the Week and postseason games for 20 years. He was a natural broadcasting and filled in on NBC's Tonight Show and was a panelist for years on the Today Show. Stuff like that. You I've, know those catchers? Those catchers are supposed to be the brainy ones, the quirky ones, you know. But you know what, though? But, but reading this, though, I see that he was a guest on the Tonight Show, and I'm assuming this is Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. Actually, it was. This is before 1993. So he was, a, he was a guest on Johnny's Tonight Show and on the Today Show. And I kind of miss these old ball players showing up on the Tonight Show and on the Today Show just kind of randomly and having fun. I don't think that a lot of ball players really do that today, which is probably just a, you know, a fact of the matter that, that television in and of itself is so fragmented that there are a thousand different late night shows and there's not really one king of late night for all of America to tune into. But uh, so Joe Garagiola, number 10, doesn't look like Anthony and I know too much about him, but you know what, as good baseball fans will do, We'll make sure that once we get to our hotel, we'll look up some good uh, YouTube clips of him calling some games. Number nine is a name that may not be familiar to everybody, but I guarantee that his call will be uh, uh, recognized by all. And I'm not sure if we have the ability to play his call in the air, so I will just do my best Russ Hodges impression. The Giants win the pennant! The Giants win the pennant! The Giants win the pennant! That was the worst Russ Hodges impersonation, but the Giants did win the pennant in 1951, and Russ Hodges lost his damn mind. I'm just standing by in dumb silence that I just witnessed that strange, <laughs> strange, strange impression of the, of the call. We've That's been all. driving so long and I'm getting punchy. But yes, Russ Hodges, the Giants win the pennant. Anthony, I'm sure you're not going to remember the first time you heard it, but that is a call that I feel like every single baseball fan has heard at some point in their lives. Am I right or I, wrong? I, well, you know, I think so, sure. Yes, it's very famous. It's very famous, wonderful. You know, it's one of the things that is thrilling about watching. You know, I love watching games live, but I do. There are moments when a really great call can just elevate the experience that much more. So even when I've seen a game live, sometimes I'll go home and, the, and I'll watch the, the, the playback so I can hear the call, you know? I'm telling you, I do the exact same thing. And when I'm follow, if I'm somehow unlucky enough to not be able to follow my game on television or radio and I'm having to follow at bat or online or even, God forbid, having to miss the entire game and check in later, I will almost always go home and check out the radio calls, check out the television calls, I'll check out the away calls, I'll check out the away radio calls. I really just like listening to every single variation and angle of how, and not just the big play, not just the home runs or the massive, but even if there was a really nice play at first or a strikeout or an inning ending double play or just, you know, kind of a cool play, I really like hearing everybody's take on how that went down. And real quick, just to put a button on Russ Hodges, um, the, there is a documentary that is called Branca's Pitch and is directed by a friend of mine named Andrew J. Moscato. 
And Branca's pitch is all about Ralph Branca, who gave up the shot run around the world, who gave up the Dodgers win the pennant, the Dodgers, Giants. Uh, the Giants. Well, you know why? Because the Dodgers should have win, won the pennant, because the Giants were stealing signs in 1951 and Ralph Branca found out about this and kept quiet about the fact that Bobby Thompson was stealing signs off of him didn't tell a soul for nearly 50 years because Ralph Branca is just that cool of a guy he you know what he gave up the pitch it happens and he wasn't mad about it even though Bobby Thompson technically cheated to win that game so Branca's pitch Andrew J Moscato Please check it out. It is a fantastic documentary. Number eight on the list. From 1974 to present, as he is still the broadcaster for the San Francisco Giants, although for a while he was the national broadcaster for Sunday Night Baseball, and that is John Miller. The smooth, sultry tones of John Miller. Yes, he's, I, I, I'd have to hear him again, but... Uh, he, 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 he hit it a mile high. <laughs> Sometimes he'll, he'll get a little excited, but I can't really do it. It's yeah. just, it's buttery. It's his yeah. voice is just... But he, he's the one of those guys who sometimes has the soft M's and B's. Yes. And, you know, John Miller from, uh, I'm calling the game from the beautiful San Francisco, California. From AT&T Park. AT&T Park. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know. I'm, I'm, right. I'm doing a bad job. We're both terrible at impressions at 1142 at night as we drive down the road. Number seven on the list. The man who wrote my favorite baseball book entitled Catcher in the Rye, spelled W-R-Y, just a bit outside Mr. Bob Euchre. Bob Euchre, from Mr. Belvedere to Major League to the Milwaukee Brewers booth, the man is a legend. I'm actually a little bit offended that he's this low on the list. Have you really? Have you ever really gotten a chance? I know with the Cubs-Brewers rivalry, have you gotten a chance to really sink in and listen to the Euchre? No, not as a not as a broadcaster. I mean, I've, I remember him from being on commercials too and stuff. When I was and the Tonight Show. Him and Johnny had a great relationship. Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I've really heard him call games because if I don't really have any interest in the Brewers unless they're playing the Cubs sure so uh, when they're playing the Cubs I'm never going to listen to the Brewers broadcasters called game so of course of course but I mean I would recommend at least once going ahead and listening to you call a game because he is absolutely hysterical and knows his baseball and Yuke is just, I love him. And Catcher in the Rye. I guess this list is turning into a Manish Recommends things, but Catcher in the Rye, W-R-Y, is a fantastic baseball book So that's written by Bob Euchre. And it's funny, and it's, and, it's, and it's informational, and it's just... How many puns are in that book, or is it just the title? <laughs> it's, it's kind of a punny book, but it's, it's, it's Bob Euchre, so you know it's going to be funny. Okay. Number six is a name that I'm not going to say because I would like to hear... Anthony's impression of this legendary broadcaster that called his games for many, 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 many years, who before calling games the Chicago Cubs was actually calling games for the St. Louis Cardinals. So we actually called games for both these 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 franchises. You mean Jack Brickhouse or Harry Carey? The second. Okay. So let's hear if you have, and I'm putting him totally on the spot right now, but do you have a Harry Carey impression? Holy cow! 
Jake, me out oh, to no. the ball game. Oh my goodness. Jake, me out with crowd. Let's get some runs. Let's get some runs. Oh, let's get the Harry Carey. What needs to be said? What needs to be said about Harry Carey? We all know him. We all love him. The big old glasses. Just the ram just drunk. The rambling drunkenness of Harry Carey in the booth. The horrendously bad mispronunciation of Japanese players' names, which never made me not laugh. So I just I laughed every time he would just mangle a, a Japanese player's name. Harry, we miss you. We love you. Oh, I love me some Harry Carey. Number five. Now, some folks do not like this man's son very much, but you can't say a bad word about this gentleman. And that's the legendary Jack Buck. Jack Buck was something special. Now, uh, no, I just have never, I'm not sure that I've really heard much of Jack. I don't believe what I just saw. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> for those of you who may not know, that was the 1988 World Series call of Kirk Gibson uh, uh, hitting a one-legged home run. Or how about, go crazy, folks, go crazy. Ozzy Smith's NLCS game-winning home run. I mean, he had a couple of pretty, pretty memorable calls. Yeah, sure. I mean, I know the name, of course. I, you know, his, his son I'm not crazy about. As many people aren't. You know, I, I go back and forth with... with the baby buck with the younger buck you know it's it's i actually think he's got a pretty strong voice for for broadcasting but it's the enthusiasm really isn't there i don't really ever feel like he is that engaged in what is happening and i feel like maybe there are times where he's trying to create maybe a memorable call and not just naturalistically letting like i do feel i don't believe what i just saw or go crazy folks go crazy wasn't something that jack buck planned it was just a oh my you know that was a very in-the-moment call. And to me, everything that uh, um, Joe Buck uh, says seems very planned out. I also, the Fox broadcasts, yeah. the, the, the noise, the sound. Oh, my goodness. They, they turn up those microphones so high, and it's the only time where the sound of a ball hitting a bat actually sounds off to me. Yeah. I love the, I've loved the TBS broadcasts in the last few years since they've been sort of splitting the, the postseason yes. coverage. I think the TBS teams are so much better and the sound, you know, just feels so much, sim they keep it simple. They, it really feels like I'm really watching a baseball game and not some video game as much as I like video games. So, absolutely, I, you know, that's, 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 where I, that's where I go with that. So now here's another announcer that neither Anthony nor I will have ever really heard any of his uh, live broadcast because he was broadcasting from 1934 to 1966 but that was red barber and red barber was the broadcaster for the cincinnati reds and he is credited with inventing several phrases and i'm just going to read this from baseballabout.com or baseball.about.com uh, he was hired by the dodgers actually in 1938 and became a brooklyn institution he invented several phrases now common in baseball, such as can of corn for an easy fly ball, back, back, back for a deep fly ball, which, oof, maybe Chris Berman needs to retire that. Back, 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 And, oh, doctor, which became a catchphrase. He became oh, doctor? Oh, doctor. I actually have heard, I've watched a lot of old ball games just because I'm a nerd, and I, have, I've, I, I did not know it was Red Barber now that I think about it, but I have heard the, oh, 
doctor many many times so I kind of what kind of catchphrase was that people would walk down the street and pass each other and go oh doctor it's just kind of you know it's ho- it's kind of a holy cow oh doctor it's oh my goodness type of just type of uh, you know hello nurse one of those hello nurse you ever heard of hello nurse it's more of, I guess, I mean, I know it from Animaniacs, which obviously you're... Oh, I, yeah, but there's also, but yeah. I've I mean, seen some Animaniacs, but it was a little after my, you know. Hello, nurse. <laughs> so, yeah, either we just aged ourselves up or down on this podcast. I don't know what, what our, yeah. Um, but, so you became a mentor for another gentleman who is going to appear on this list but hasn't appeared yet but resigned from the Dodgers in 1953 and moved to the Crosstown Yankees, in part because he disagreed with Dodgers management. Sorry about that. I got distracted. Uh, So, yeah, so Red Barber, uh, someone that, once again, we're going to have to look up some YouTube clips of, but uh, a very influential broadcaster. Number three, the voice of the Yankees, the glory years of the 1950s, from 1938 to 1996. How about that? Mel Allen. That sounds pretty good to me. I know. I'm actually pretty proud of myself for that one. So Mel Allen, who, you know, he had, you know, he called Roger Maris to 61. He called, you know, Mel Allen is a guy that when you watch the film 61, uh, you know, makes me want to have been a Yankee fan just so I could have heard his voice. I feel like he was a really fantastic announcer who really connected with the crowd and was once again kind of the perfect voice for that Yankees dynasty. Have you ever really ever gotten a chance to hear too much of, of, of Mel? No, but I mean, I've seen enough, you know, sometimes late at night I'll watch weird baseball things like the Yankeeographies. And so, yeah, I've heard some, certainly heard some of it, some of the calls that he's made. So now we have one and two. And much like our baseball list, I feel like these top two are one and one A and are pretty much the top two that most baseball fans would come to. I don't think there's really a debate. I, I don't think there's a debate on about number one. I don't think anybody alive would ever put anybody yeah, who's in number one. In you're right. That's, well, that's why I said one and one A. Well, no, once again, I'm saying that the top these one and two, I don't think would there be any debate for these two. As I'm putting them one and one A. I do put them... I think you're right. The number one is probably the number one. The number two is just a phenomenal broadcaster. And the number two, is, uh, he was a broadcaster from 1948 to 2002. He used to shout out my hometown, even though I had nothing to do with the broadcast in general, because, boy, he hit that all the way to Kalamazoo, Michigan. And that is Ernie Harwell, the Detroit Tigers. Ernie was just absolutely fantastic. He had some ridiculous phrases. You know, the Tigers need some instant runs right now. You know, he's he's out for excessive window shopping. Uh, you know, that's two for the price of one. That one is long gone. Uh, uh, he stood there like a house by the side of the road and watched it go by. Like, he just, dude knew how to call a game and make it colorful and make it, you know, it's just, it's, I loved Ernie. You know, Ernie was, I mean, look, that was my broadcaster growing up. And, and. I very, very sadly never got a chance to meet or work with him despite my work in Detroit. And, you know, it's one of the, I was telling Anthony, actually, it's one of my, honest to God, one of my biggest regrets in my life. I ended up somehow, some way, getting my hand on his hands on his cell phone number long, long time ago. And I was just, you know, I've never really been nervous to talk to athletes. You know, I've, I've talked to guys like Verlander. I've, I've interviewed guys, you know, I've... Uh, once again, Muhammad Ali, things, Barry Sanders, you know, guys, Steve Eiserman, guys who were heroes of mine growing up, and I never really got nervous 
but there was something about Ernie that just, you know, maybe it was just because of how close it is. You know, when, when you're listening on the radio, you feel just so close to somebody and you just feel so connected to that person. And, you know, they're talking right in your ear or they're talking if you're listening on headphones. And I just never got the courage to call him. I didn't know what to do. And, and sadly, Ernie passed away in 2010. And it's just, like I said, one of my, my honest to God biggest regrets that I never got a chance to really meet or chat with Ernie Harwell. And for those of you out here who have not heard any of Ernie's broadcasts, I, I implore you to check out YouTube and just listen, you know, because Ernie was great. He, he just, he had a way of making every single fan in the state of Michigan or really across the country, if you were a Tigers fan, he made you feel like you were a part of that game and a part of that broadcast. So uh, Ernie, I love you and I miss you. Um, but I think Anthony is right. There really is no debate at number one, and he's the reason why I decided to do this this list tonight to begin with. Uh, we were listening to his just wonderful stories, and I could listen to him for the rest of time, and that is Mr. Vin Scully. And I don't, you know, I don't know if where he gets his press notes from or his stories or his anecdotes about the players' lives, but he has this incredible way of including some, in some cases, really profound and interesting stories about various players' lives in the middle of calling the game by himself. And I don't know if there's anybody anywhere who calls the game by, by himself. Uke. Uke, Uke calls the game by himself, okay. So, Vince Gulley and Uke. But Vince Gulley calling the game by himself, never missing a moment of it, and able to even interrupt a story to call a play without missing a beat and picking right up, picking up right where he left off uh, and painting both pictures beautifully. And he's old. <laughs> I believe he's 82, 83. I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but he's, he's in his 80s and he's been doing this for a long, long time. And, you know, one of my actually favorite things about Vince, everybody, you know, obviously, yes, the stories he tells are, are just, I mean, I could listen to that man talk for the rest of my life, but he knows when to lay out. He knows when to not talk, which is something that modern broadcasters don't quite know. So obviously a lot of things we've been focusing on are the radio broadcast, but Vin, especially now, does the television broadcast, which actually, you know what? We found this out tonight, which if there's any Dodgers fans out there who have the answer to this question, please email us in and let us know. According to uh, the internet and according to us listening to the game here today, he only does the radio broadcast for the first three innings and then switches over to, so the first three innings are simulcast, television and radio broadcast with Vin, but then in the fourth inning on, it's television only. So we were both kind of curious as to why that is and, and why they just don't have Vin doing radio and television simulcast because it is, you know, he knows when he's on the television broadcast when to lay out and when to let the visuals do the talking and when to just stay quiet, which is something that is a very underrated uh, talent for especially a television broadcaster. Because TV, look, I'm, I'm watching it. I don't need you to paint me the picture. If I'm watching it, I can see it. Now, if you can add some 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 color to it. So, uh, once again, this is going to be, uh, we're going to be releasing this a couple weeks from when we record this. But this is, you know, the, the game last night, the Dodgers have a young pitcher by the name of, um, I believe it's Carlos uh, Frias, Frias. Carlos Frias. And kid had a bad night. Uh, he gave up nine runs. In, in the game and just 
he had a rough night. And later in the game, Vin interrupts the broadcast to, it was towards the end of the game, and he interrupted to basically say, hey, is, is Frias listening in the dugout? He basically says, is Frias down there in the clubhouse listening to this, this game? If he's not, someone get him so we can listen to this. And Vin told the story of another pitcher who had given up nine runs in the game, I believe it was 10 times in his career? I think that's what he said, yeah. 10 times in his career, and that pitcher ended up in the Hall of Fame. And what I actually loved about it, actually, was after Vin told the story, he actually kind of caught himself and said, does Frias speak good enough English to understand what I just said? If he doesn't, someone translate that for him. Someone explain to that young man that, you know, uh, we all have bad days. And, you know, to, to, to kind of pick it up and then come out the next time. And it was just, I actually got a little bit emotional listening to it because just how unbelievably sweet is that and accurate is that? And once again, as far as the baseball stat is concerned, a great baseball stat to know for that young kid. That is something that I'm sure he went to bed thinking, all right, good. I'm not going to let this thing get me down. And that is something that Vin does that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be a very sad person when Vin Scully is not calling baseball games anymore, which I hope is not for 50 more years. That would make him 132. I'm okay with that. If anyone could do it, it'd be Vin. Yeah, he might, he might live forever. And, you know, as much as I want the Tigers to win the World Series, I want the Cubs to win the World Series, I want a lot of teams to win the World Series, there is a small part of me that is really pulling for a Dodgers World Series. And if there is a Dodger World Series, ESPN, Fox, TBS, Major League Baseball, all of Rob Manfred, all of you, do the right thing and let Vin Scully call the postseason. I fundamentally don't understand. Maybe Vin doesn't want to do it. I don't know. But... I don't care. I'm selfish. Someone strap Vin down and make him call postseason games because that would be legendary. I agree with you. So with that, we are both getting a little bit tired here. It is now midnight on the Clubhouse podcast as we record this. We are closing in on Cincinnati. It is our last day of our first Midwest road trip. So we'll talk to you the next time when we are in Cincy and we're heading to the great American ballpark. See you next time here in the clubhouse. The home base for the clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located on 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. I understand if you don't live in the area and you can't come in to check out the phenomenal baseball-inspired artwork or the one-of-a-kind memorabilia that he has for sale. So if you can't show up, go to the website, Bergino.com. That's B-E-R-G-I-N-O.com. And pick up a gift for anybody in your family, your friends, your acquaintances, yourself. Just pick something up. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. The Clubhouse is produced by Zach McNeese. The website and logo were designed by Ronan Jora. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. That just makes it easier for other folks to be able to find this podcast. Follow the show on Twitter at ClubhousePod. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. For guest ideas, baseball stories, or just to say hello, shoot us an email at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about the specific baseball moments we discussed on the show, pictures, and more, please visit us at clubhousepodcast.com. 
Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.